Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Mooresville. Let me read these verses. I'm going to re-talk to you out of Ephesians this morning again, but I want to talk to you about a little bit of a different thing that, that I saw recently just in reading it that I've really never caught before. Uh, so <laughs> I think I've read these scriptures maybe. I think I'm giving you several messages out of this, these verses, but there's so many more in here, I'm sure. Uh, Ephesians 1, 1 and 2. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to tell you uh, about family imagery in the book of Ephesians. Uh, I think God really wants us to see that there, what his heart is about family. Um, and so Paul really begins the, the uh, letter by introducing him, himself as an apostle, but he really immediately shifts in verse 2 about the, the Father and the Son. And so the book of Ephesians, as I've told you, it's about God's vision for us. This is God's blueprint for us. This is how God wants things to be. This was in God's heart from the foundation of the world. Is for, for how the church should operate, how, how believers should operate. But there's this thread all through this book about, about the family. And he starts out with God as the Father. And it's, uh, it's not that the Father's works that he starts with. It's not with his miracles. It's not with his power. It's not with his revelation. Uh, it just begins with the person that God's a father. That's, that's how God, Paul began the letter. He just wanted to know. He, didn't, he wasn't even sharing anything about the Father that, other than he's a Father. And that in this great vision of our life that the Father has got to be central. And if you take away the fatherhood of God, if you, if you remove that, you remove everything. There's no Christianity without the fatherhood of God. Jesus came, one of his stated purposes for coming to the earth was to show the Father, to reveal the Father. He, he said that in John 14, 9. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, I came here to tell you what God's really like. Stop believing what the world tells you God's like. Stop believing what religion tells you God's like. Stop believing what the devil tells you God's like. And look at me and you'll see what the God the Father is truly like. And when you begin to see that, let me just tell you this. When you begin to see that, you can begin to understand some things about God that's not understandable with your natural mind. You can begin to get some insight about what happened in the Old Testament that really irks people about God with all the killing. But there was a great reason for it. I don't want to go into it, but the only way you're going to really ever see that is really see it in the context of God as a loving Father. Okay, he's always been that from day one for us. Are y'all with me so far? Uh, 
Yes, sir. There are about 120, listen to this, there are about 120 core names of God in the Bible. That's interesting, isn't it? About 120, I don't know. You know, you got all these different uh, translations of the Bible, and, uh, you know, sometimes it can be tricky, but uh, so there's about 120 core names in the Bible of God, and there's 219 variations on those names. That's a, that's a lot, right? But it takes that much. It takes a lot to explain God. It takes 219 variations to try to help us see who God is. But, but, but the most important name of God in the Bible is the Father, that he's a Father. Here's, a, here's the ones in the New Testament that, that, I, that have really blessed me in my life. That I'm just going to read them to you. He's the Father of all mercies, 2 Corinthians 1.3. He's the Father of glory, Ephesians 1.17. He's the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 3.14. He's the Father of our spirits, Hebrews 12.9. He's the Father of lights, James 1.17. He's our Heavenly Father, Matthew 6. He's Abba Father, right? Romans 8 and Galatians. And He's Holy Father, uh, John seventeen eleven, isn't that beautiful? Those are the different ways that God has revealed His fatherhood in the New Testament, that were, where it was He was specifically addressed as Father, and that's one of the things that we could all do. If you really want to know to get to know the Father, go and look in the Bible and look these names up and begin to study. What is the Father of Mercies? What What does that really mean for me in my life? What does it mean for my family? And if you'll really do that, y'all, if you'll really get serious about the Father, you will, you will get to know the Father. You will begin to bond. Everybody say bond with the Father. Uh, when I wanted to tell you, I got a couple little stories about bonding. Y'all know about, women know about bonding, right? They know about bonding with, with children a lot better than fathers do. But I just remember... When my children were born, each one of them, I can remember coming home from work at, right after they were born and snatching the baby out of Becky's arms and going and laying on the bed and putting the baby on my chest and kissing the baby on my head and smelling the baby's head. You know, baby's head smell sweet. And just, just wanting to bond with this person, this infant. And... Really letting, and I wanted them to, to know me even then. I wanted them to hear my heartbeat. You know, that was really what I was doing. I was wanting them to hit with their little head on my chest and kiss on their little head and hold them and tell them how much I adore them. Um, you know, I thought about later, not then, but later, you know, when, G, when John at the Last Supper in Matthew 13, laid his head on Jesus' chest. It was like a bonding moment. You know, we talk about that, about intimacy and stuff, but it was really like a bonding moment in his life. Uh, And see, what has happened, I think, with the church is we haven't always bonded well with the Father. I think we've bonded with with Jesus because he's, you know, just out there and just has, you know, he did the ultimate sacrifice for us. But I don't think we've bonded well with the Father, and that's been a, an issue. Uh, here's a, a sad story about bonding uh, with my brother and my dad. My dad was uh, in World War II, which is, that was a long time ago, right? It, 
but he he was in the, like the Pacific War, and he uh, before he left to go to the into the war, he was at home, and he left home with my mama pregnant with my brother, and he didn't see my brother for three years, and when he came home, my brother didn't know him as father. My granddad was more his father, my dad's dad, because my mom lived with them while my dad was in the war. And they never got along. And, I, you know, that was one of, the, one, of the, one of the issues I had, one of the greatest issues I had with my daddy was the way he treated my brother. I was always upset with him. I remember one time they got into a fight, literally. And, you know, I was 10 years younger than my brother, and my brother was probably 16 or 17 at the time, so I was fairly young. And I remember jumping into the middle of them fighting uh, to protect my brother because I felt like my dad was not treating him right. You know, as I've grown older and reflected on that, uh, I realized my dad was very broken himself over not being able to bond with my brother. I bonded really well with my dad. Uh, we were close except for that. Uh, and I never talked to him about it because I didn't feel like I could. And, and I, but I felt the hurt between both of them, uh, even to this day. You know, my dad's gone. He's been gone for a long time, but my brother's still here. And I realized there was always a separation between my dad and my brother and his family. They were, there was something between them. And it was, it was this lack of bonding between them. And see, we can know all about God the Father, okay? But if we're not bonding with Him, if we don't have a genuine connection with Him, I can promise you it's, it won't work out well. Your Christianity is not going to work out well. Are y'all, are y'all hearing me this morning? You, it, it's just it's the way God designed it, just like in the natural. You know, as children need to bond with their mom and dad, if that doesn't happen, it creates brokenness. It creates broken people who break other people. And so this is why I believe Paul, when Paul was talking about God's vision and God's dream for, for Christianity, for the church, for us, is that he immediately interjects this whole thing about the father, his, this whole thing about the family. Are you all with me? Well, that didn't sound very enthusiastic. <laughs> Listen to what he said in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so these blessings are found in the context of, of spiritual and natural family. That's what he's saying because he's talked about uh, the Father. Blessed be the God and Father and, and Lord Jesus Christ, the Son. So all blessings, if we want to be a people that are blessed, there's this context that God has created for this context to be is in the context of a family. Okay? Are y'all, does that make sense? Are y'all with me on this? Uh, a family you and I are invited to be a part of. Now that's key. You see, God... This is key. God has invited the world into his family. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him. And so he's given us an opportunity. That's the doorway into the family, Christ. He's the only way in. But there's this invitation from the Lord for you and I to go enter into this family and join this family. Okay? 
Now, I wrote this. I'm on, I had her to put it up because sometimes it's, I loved I was this is I was working on something else uh, about family. Because, and here's why. Because I believe this revival that's coming on the earth, family is going to be a key part of it. I, I really believe that. I believe somehow God's going to use families. And God wants to redeem families. God wants to heal families. So much. I just feel that so strongly in my heart. The Bible frequently... The Bible frequently uses family terms such as children, sons, brothers, and sisters to describe our relationship with God. This is significant because we experience the most profound connection, growth, and challenges in family relationships. Isn't that the truth? We find joy and sorrow, love and pain within our families. Right? I mean, everybody in the room knows that if you have a natural family. Family is also the context where, where we are most likely to be hurt. Do you hear me? We're most likely to be hurt. The greatest hurts I have in my, in my life came from my family. It came from these people that I'm, I'm totally dearly in love with. Okay? But it also offers the opportunity for a lifelong commitment to one another. Isn't that beautiful? Well, I wrote it. I think it's beautiful. <laughs> I think it's the truth, though. You see, I think that's one of the problems we have. So many people talk about the church being hurt in the church. And it's like, well, of course. Because church is supposed to be a family. And in the context of family, there are going to be wounds. There's going to be hurt. You ask my sisters. <laughs> Growing up, they would like hated me. And rightfully so. I was a bad brother. Okay, let me, uh, now I'm going to do something quick here. I want to quickly summarize the rest of chapter 1 of Ephesians, okay? But this is, you, you can read it, this is really cool. Verses, verse 3 through 6, which I just read, verse 3, is about what the Father has done for us. He blessed us, He gave us an inheritance, He chose us, He, he accepted us, and adopted us into His family. That's, that's what it says in verses 3 through 6 of chapter 1. Verses 7 through 12 tells us what the Son has done for us. He redeemed us with His blood. Thank you, Lord. He forgave us and revealed His will to us, the Father's plan for the family. That's what Jesus did. He revealed the Father's plan for the family. Yeah, thank you. I love a good old amen. Uh, uh, Verses 15 through 22 uh, is... Now, I mean, verses 13 and 14 tell us what the Holy Spirit does. See, the Trinity's involved in this because the Trinity is a family. Okay, if people explain the Trinity. Here's a simple definition. It's a family. Forget all that ice melting and vaporizing and all that. Forget all that. It's a family. Okay? And, and you know, family is one. You know, Becky and I... We're a family. We're one. We're not talking about ice melting and vaporizing and, you know, all that stuff. We're just, we're family. We're together. We're making, we make, sometimes we make amazing things so dogged, complex, that it's ridiculous. Where God's saying, I never, I never talked about ice melting. I never talked about all that. You know, I just talked about family. I think we, if we could just grab that. But what the Holy Spirit does for us, He seals us, meaning He makes the down payment of heaven. He's the guarantor. 
He guarantees us. The Holy Spirit guarantees we're family. He's the spirit of adoption. He says, I will make sure this happens for you and I will help you live family and I will help you in those moments when your spiritual family wounds you and hurts you. I will be there to comfort you and walk you through this if you'll let me. And you won't be ridiculous and run away thinking that's the answer for you because you're running away from somebody you can't run away from. You know, you can run away from, from, from a church or your community, but you can't run away from him. It's the truth. And because, you know, he never forsakes a person. We may forsake him, but he'll never forsake us. Well, I just love the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say this in Ephesians, but he is the spirit of adoption. He's the one who's working hard to make sure we know we're loved. That's why we should love the Holy Ghost. That's why we should be Holy Ghost people. Y'all, we don't need to be ridiculous about the Holy Spirit. We just need to be real about Him. We need to always be saying, yes, Holy Ghost, you're the one. I need you. I need you to be family. I need you to empower me. I need you to anoint everything. It's the whole deal. Okay. Yeah. Well, and then in verse 15 through 22 is Paul's prayer, you know, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and to know the Lord Jesus Christ better and to know the hope of of your calling, the, the glorious inheritance that you have in Christ and the exceeding greatness of his power towards you. See, what he's trying to tell us, hey, you, you need, this is all yours, but you need this spirit of wisdom and revelation to help you see it, to help you experience, to help you know it. Okay? Don't be like a lot of believers are there. They are full of bad thoughts because they say, we have it all, we don't need anything. Well, you do have it all, but you don't see it, and you're not living in it. You have it all in your spirit, but you're not living it out in your soul. You're not living it out in your daily life. You've got a theology, but you don't have an experience. You have a theology, but you don't have a revelation. You've got doctrines. What have they done for you? Are you with me on this? I don't buy any of that stuff, y'all. I, am, I don't go there. Mm-mm, no, mm-mm. You know why I don't go there? Because I look in the mirror every day, okay, and realize, boy, Lord, I'm still being worked on here. (laughs) Hey, you know, Becky was talking about that, oh, she, mm, that whole thing about enemy mode. Remember last Sunday? She uses it on me all the time now. (laughs) Constantly, like, you're in enemy mode. Like, oh. And, you know, she said there was a stupid enemy mode. She said, Byron, you know what your problem is? You immediately go to stupid enemy mode. It's like, oh, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I go nuclear right away. I mean, when we get in fights, I am not going like, you know. I'm, but you know what I've been doing lately? Y'all, don't tell her this. I'm just shutting my mouth. I'm just learning how to, like, just be quiet. I mean, just go outside and grit your teeth. Or I just say, okay, okay, honey, okay. You're like, oh, this is ridiculous. She, you know... She claimed I got all that rev- all that stuff from her, and you know, you know. So yes, now now let's go over here to Ephesians chapter two. Are everybody good? Don't tell Becky; she'll pay me back dearly. But she really does call me out on that enemy mode stuff. One time we got in this big fight. I won't tell you what it was. What it was about how I was when we first got married. She was telling somebody about it the other day. I'm feeling embarrassed again. But we got into a major fight 
on the way to go visit my family and her family for Christmas. We got into a knockdown drag out in the car. I was going completely nuclear. I just slammed on brakes. I'm turning around going home. <laughs> and I literally did that. But then I started thinking, I can't do this because I told my sister I'd be there. <laughs> so I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. I'm so mad at Becky. You know, I'm going to punish her and not let her see her family. That was sort of the bad, bad motivation. <laughs> So I relented and turned the car back, and we finally had like a detente meeting, okay? You know what, detente, we're just going to say that we're going to not, we're going to work on this later. We're going to go and be nice to our families. You know, we had to stop a couple times. I'll be honest, we had literally had to stop on the side of the road a couple of times and talk through it more. I was so upset, and she was upset. Well, the next day, she told me what she was upset about, and it was all stuff from the past. I don't know why I'm telling you all this, but... It's funny now. It was not funny then. <laughs> but everything she was saying, she was right about. I mean, everything she said to me was right. But I, as she was telling me, I was making a list in my mind of all the stuff she did in the past that I felt bad about. I was resenting. But the more she talked, the more I realized, you know, I'm going to let her. At first it was, I'm going to go let her have her time. And tomorrow I'm going to get her with my list. But the more this went on, the more I realized, you know what I need to do with my list? I need to tear my list up and throw it away. And that's what I did. I tore my list up and threw it away and went through everything she said to me and repented to her about what I did to her. Because I was not a great man. I'm still not, but I'm just saying I was not a good husband in the early days. I was crazy, you know. You know. I still am, by the way, but I hide it well. But I'm a lot nicer to everybody, including Becky. But it was a really a healing moment for her, I felt like, and for us as a couple. You know, and we've been married forever. But isn't it beautiful how the Lord does this? Anyways, family life. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 is all about, our family life. And it describes some things about what our family life is about. In verse 1 of Ephesians 2, it says, He made... And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So that's the first thing that our family life is about. It's about a resurrection life. It's about that we're made alive by Christ. So that's one of the things that God wants us to know, that you're alive. You're not dead. Even when you feel dead. Even, you know, but you have life in you. Uh, so it's, it's a resurrection life. And I wanted to read this one verse here from over from Romans from the Message Bible, which is, I just so love this verse because the Lord spoke it to me one morning when I was in a desperate place in my life. It says, This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's an adventurously expected greeting God with a child like, What's next, Papa? That's a great description of how our Christian life should be living. Uh, not grave tended. And I think so often as believers, we get stuck in this place of, of mourning. And I'm a big believer in mourning and, and people processing grief. And if I'll fight for somebody who's in grief. I'll fight for them to keep people from t- trying to prophesy them out of it or, you know, tell them they're being ridiculous. But I think we can get caught sometimes where we begin to, what I was doing back in those years is tending the grave of what I thought was going to happen in my life. I had a dream, I had dreams, I had visions, I had things 
And I found myself next to the grave mourning those things. And I, after a period of time, I should have left the graveyard, but I didn't. And I lived there. Actually, I lived there for a few years until the Lord really spoke this scripture plainly to me one morning when I was in the, in the lowest moment. And I realized what I was doing in my life, I was living in the graveyard of my broken and dead dreams of what I had hoped God would do, what I had believed God would do. And it was all six feet under as far as I was concerned at that moment. And at that moment, I realized God was saying, that is not a resurrection life you're living. And I think much of the church lives like that. Much of the church lives a grave-tending life. We go to church and tend the grave. It's not supposed to be a grave, y'all. It's supposed to be life. It's supposed to be a what's next, Papa. It's supposed to be expectantly. And that's really what God wants to teach us, how to live that way. How to live, because you, you, here's, here's the thing. We don't know how to live the resurrection life without the Holy Spirit leading us. Because you know what I did right here? God shared that with me. I went back to trying to do some of the things I used to do when I was getting those dreams. And guess what I was getting? I was getting zero. Because I was trying to go back and rehearse and redo what God did. And he wasn't in it. He was t- and he finally said, that is not what I'm talking about. Are y'all with me on this? You can't live from what was. You got to live for what is and what God is going to do. Yes, sir. It's good. It's the truth. It's hard, too. Well, the next thing is in Ephesians 2, 6, He raised up, us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He has made us more than conquerors. It's a reigning life. That's really what God wants us to see, that we, we've been raised up. And you know what it said over there in, when it talked about in Ephesians chapter 1 about Christ? It says that Christ is seated far. And I've shared this before, but I love that. He's seated far above, y'all. Listen, far above all principalities, powers, rulers, and dominions, both in this age and the age to come. And then he says, we're put there with him. Are we acting that way? Are we acting that way? We have to learn how to set up there with him and look at our world, look at our earth. That's what the Lord was really telling me that day when I had my list with Becky. Tear your list up and listen to what I'm telling you. And if you'll do that, you'll find yourself looking down on earth and you'll see what I'm doing. That I'm trying to heal something in your marriage that's been broken for 40 years. Are y'all following this? God wants to teach the church and he's allowed the world that we live in to break down and break down and break down because all this evil that we see in the world, it's always been there. It's just been hid. Now it's emerging. And we can't, we don't need to allow ourselves to be overcome by that but allow ourselves to be overcome by being seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And only the Holy Spirit can bring that to us but that's what he's doing for those who are willing to go there. We're in an important time right now, y'all. We're in a time where God is preparing us for what he's going to do. And some of the preparation is painful. But it's going to be really good, I believe. Thank you, Lord. 
You know, speaking of politics, I've been very encouraged about, yeah, I'm going to be careful here. <laughs> but we've seen in the last two or three years uh, in local politics, we've seen a lot of strong, godly people get involved. And I'm so blessed by that. We, we have some godly people on a state level. Now, I don't know about the federal level. There is some people in there. But I, I do know that we need more of that. So I really want to say, if God puts it in your heart to get in politics and you feel like there's an anointing for you to do it, I would say do it. Because um, I'm, I'm cheering these people on because they're going to make a difference in a world that I, I won't make much difference in that world as far as being in that world. Okay, well, y'all, far above, y'all. Okay, here's the last one. It's called a creative life. Yeah, I'm going to finish this. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to read this verse from the Passion Translation because it says it so beautifully. Don't, do y'all like the Passion Translation? It has a lot of really cool verses in it. This is one of them. This is we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Right? This is We have become his poetry. A recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works that we would do to fulfill it. Isn't that beautiful? That's powerful, man. That's a creative life. That's not going through the motions. That's not writing a formula down. This is the way God does stuff. No, that's not. Throw that book away. Get the Bible. The Bible's the most creative book there ever was. Okay? And, and forget all this formulas and stuff that don't work. They work great in science formulas. I like science and math and all that cool stuff. But when it comes to the spiritual world, forget your formula. It don't work. All right, let me read this one more verse. I'm coming to the end, y'all. Are y'all good? Yeah. What in the world, man? Y'all not acting like it. <laughs> Listen, this is powerful. I think I've read this scripture too much lately. Somehow, I don't know why, but these scriptures right here have grabbed me. I can't shake them. You ever have something just grab you and you can't shake it? it just, I just keep going over and over in my mind. Because it's my dream and it's your dream whether you know it or not. I want you to, you will know it one day. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Isn't that beautiful? Citizens. What's he talking about? Kingdom of God. All right. There's a parallel thing that works. Get this. The way God operates. He operates in a parallel mode. On one hand, family. Father. On the other hand, kingdom. Kingdom is, is about bringing Father's rule. When Jesus said, don't you know I have to be about my Father's business? Uh, the other, isn't that cool? Well, there's another translation. Didn't you know I had to be in my Father's house? I'm thinking, which one is it? Have you ever thought about that? One translation. These are traditional translations. It's the house he's in. This is Luke 2.49 when he was 12 years old. It's the house he's in or is it the business he's in? Which one? It's both. Because if you read it, literally it says this. Don't you know I have to be about the things of my father? That's what it literally says. That's what Jesus said to his parents. I got to be about the affairs of my father. 
And those are affairs are about him being a father over a family and about him being a king over the world. And, his, and he has a kingdom. Did you know that? Listen, I'll tell you this one thing about the... Are y'all good? If I'm making you mad, I'm sorry. Go get some barbecue. <laughs> You'll be happy. Listen to this about this kingdom thing, y'all. Uh, we sing it. You're worthy. Remember that? We were singing that. What, what are you worthy of, Lord? I was saying that. Well, wait a minute. You're worthy. That sounds cool. But if I, am I being genuine? What are you worthy of? Here's what he's worthy of. The Bible tells us. Revelation 5. He's worthy to take the scroll and where nobody else could open it. You know what the scroll is? It's the title deed of the earth. Do you hear me? The scroll in Revelation 5 that no one could open. And John wept over when he was up there in heaven with the Lord. Jesus is worthy to open that scroll because he paid the ultimate price for this earth. He's a king. He has a kingdom. And he's going to bring that kingdom into this earth. That's the truth of this thing. And that's why he said, you're citizens. You belong in this kingdom. And that means, guess what? You have an assignment. You have work to do in this kingdom. And you have to find out what that is on this earth. Because if all you are, if you just take one side of that, if you just take, take the, the, the family side of it, you're going, well, listen, man, I raised my kids to go to work. I didn't raise them to hang out at the house all the time. I need you to get up. I need to build you and you go out and affect the community and society and work so you can have your own family. Are y'all seeing this? That's the way God operates. He brings us into the family. Then he says, oh, yeah, by the way, I got a business. I need you to get in my business. I need you to get employed in my business. Are you hearing me? I hope some people are hearing this. I'm not talking about church. I'm not talking about doing work in the church. Everybody assumes that. Like I shared something the other day, and they said, oh, well, I need to start talking to me about the church. I'm like, I wasn't talking about the church. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. Now, it may include the church. Well, the church, it does include the church, but that ain't my first thought. I'm thinking about, oh, well, they talked about the kingdom. Building a house for a widow, that's kingdom. Right? Praying... Praying God in abortion, that's a kingdom, right? There's all this stuff that God wants to do. Okay, I had to stop and come. Yeah, well, read, up, read that Luke 2.49. Go study it. It's beautiful. I've, I'm fascinated. Fascinated what Jesus said as a 12-year-old boy. He said, this is the message of my life. The kingdom of heaven and the family of God. And he's invited you and I into that life. That was a 12-year-old boy that shared that with the world. This is my message. This is the essence of my life. Would you like to come join it with me? And he waited a long time, 18 years before he really explained it more. Well, I'll just finish in 20 and 22. Are y'all getting anything out of this? Lord help. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, I'm not going to get into all that, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom, what, the whole building. Think about a building. Let's shift it from just 
a house to a home. The whole home. The whole home of God being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are so built, being built together for a home. It says dwelling place, which is beautiful and I love, but I want you to think home for a home of God in the Spirit on the earth. That's God's dream. That was always God's dream. Always God's dream is I want to be with you. Just like I didn't think I was doing that when I would run home from work in the afternoon and grab the babies because I wanted to be with them. And I wanted them to be with me. I wanted them. I wanted to smell them. I wanted them to feel me. God wants to build this home on the earth, y'all. And I know each one of us individually are temples of God. You know, but together we're also building a home for the presence of the Lord. That's what my dream is. That dream may have got buried, but God resurrected it. He didn't leave it in the grave because it was ultimately his dream in the first place. And he wants to bring humanity into this house and into other houses of his presence and other houses of his home. He wants to bring humanity in them so they can get to know the Father and get to know why they were born on this earth. That's a big dream. That's a huge thing. But I believe the Lord wants to do it. And I think, I just want to encourage you if if we could shift our thinking that way, a lot of our personal issues that we're suffering with will suddenly not be the deal anymore. We can get healed in the middle of all this. Amen. Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. To get more information, check out riverlifefellowship.com.